The Meet for TCAS is brought to you in part by SoneLab, a recording studio in East Hampton, Massachusetts. Offering recording, mixing, and mastering of all styles of music, we even master podcasts. Email info at sonelab.com for more information. That's info at sonelab.com. That's the record button. Have we started? We have started. So, this is the Meet for TCAST. You might always start like that. Who knows? I'm Elizabeth McDuffie, founding editor of Meet for Tea, the Valley Review, and this is... I'm Mark Allen Miller, sidekick and uh, co-conspirator in Meet for Tea. Yeah, and I'm um, graphic designer and web guy and um, the host of the Cirques and a whole bunch of stuff. The hats, there are many. Hello, hello. Thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you. Season two. Episode 22 of 22. the Meet for T-Cast. Meet for T-Cast, coming to here. you. Thank you for being here. We have an amazing guest. Oh, yeah. Tonight's show, a true American poet. Oh, he is good. And you're going to get a chance to hear that. And actually, a really skilled musician are going to get a chance to hear that if you hang around. You probably read the description of the episode, so you know who we're talking about. But who are we talking about? Joshua Michael Stewart. That is correct. Who has had work published in Meet for Tea as far back as the Scrapple issue, which was volume seven, issue four. Let's see, we're volume 15, volume seven, yeah. And then is in the Bard issue, volume 13, issue four. And most recently, the Criadia de Toro issue, volume oh, yeah. 15, issue 2. It's out now. Yep. And that includes three poems from what will be his third book, which is still coming. It's still a work in progress. If you want to be one of the first ones to see those three poems from what will be his third book, you know to get your hands on the Criadia de Toro issue of Meet for Deep. Also, they, Elizabeth, they, I say Elizabeth and Joshua, they have a really good discussion about a lot of that book in this episode. So, and know, his previous books, which are Break Every String and then Bastard Children of the Dharma Bums. I love that title. Well, Ugh. it's it's because he was using a John Cage-esque technique on Jack Kerouac's novel, The Dharma Bums. And yeah. you'll hear all about that. It's fascinating. Yeah, we got that coming right up. So uh, just a little bit of a noise disclaimer. You know, it's been stupid hot kind of everywhere in the country. The and windows are open. Yep, the windows have been open here at Meet for Tea Cast Central. And actually we started our recording with Joshua last night with a fan on and he had his air conditioning on, which might provide a little background noise, but it was well, also, you know, Then we turned internet. the fan off and we had the window open, but then the weather obliged us with some heavy rain and thunder. Yep, which you may or may not hear, but if you do, that's If cool. you do, it's kind of cool because it started when I was reading a poem that referenced storms. Yeah. So it sounded like maybe we were doing some fancy sound effects just to, <laughs> you know, augment the reading. Also, our neighbor's little dog kind of had a freak out with the thunder too at the same point, so... You may hear that, or you may not. Who knows? Because, you know, I do a lot of editing. 
We are at our dining room table under the flying spaghetti monster. Thank you, Jordana Star. Three elephants yes, and a under, beaded octopus. We are under the three elephants plus. We are back at home. We've been back at home for a while. And that's why sometimes the windows are open and sometimes there's a fan and sometimes, well, you may have heard that, <laughs> there's a car going by. So we have Joshua Michael Stewart and we have his music. We have his music. We have this lovely conversation. So I think we And maybe... a lovely, rich, interesting conversation. Yes. With Mark talks with him about music too. It's not all <laughs> I did poetry I did, geekery. I did get a moment to, to talk about the creative process with recording and creation of music as well, because that was one area where he and I have a lot in common. But uh, it was great. So I think we should kind of just talk right into this. Right? I think we should. Yeah. I think we should just get right into it. So thanks for joining us. For you know this what to do, right? Subscribe, tell your friends. Oh, let's do this up front. Subscribe, tell your friends. Give us a rating if you can. If Apple Podcasts fixes their crap, you can give us a five-star review. And Maybe it's of- fixed. Hey, if you try to give us a five-star review with writing and you can... Yep. Shoot us an email and let us know that Apple got their shit together. Yeah, that's true, because as of this recording, it's still broken as far as we can see. Also, I've said this, and I'm just going to be, you know, Naggy McNags a lot when it comes to this. We would like to hear your voices. And it's yes. really, really easy if you're in anchor there's a little microphone of course you know how to do a voice memo on your phone you could just send that to meetfortcast at gmail.com but we'd like to hear your thoughts your suggestions things you'd want to hear um anyway thanks for joining us hang around till the end because that's where the music's gonna be we're gonna have three pieces from him at the end of the conversation with Elizabeth and Joshua and a little bit of me. So take it away. Enjoy. Here it comes. I give her my 
last nickel And it leaves me in a pickle Well, you know, Mr. Sawtooth Ain't nobody's business if I do If we got ham and bacon And then the next day You know nothing's shaking Well, goddamn Ain't nobody's business if we do Welcome to Joshua Michael Stewart. We, we are well. How are you over there? I am very well. Thank you for having me. We're psyched to have you. I'm on your website right now. I'll, oh I'll just do a little, little recap. Joshua Michael Stewart is an American poet in the very best sense of the word from Doug Anderson. This is all reviews from Break Every String. And you've got a new chat book after Break Every String, too. A uh, full length, actually, yeah. A full length book, which I purchased from you. And I, to my utter consternation and mortification, I cannot lay hands on it. I went looking through all my books today. I could lay hands on all sorts of things, but I couldn't lay hands on that. Um, in my defense, we're, we're still unpacking post-house fire, so things are still a little shuffled around. Where, where are you guys uh, located now? We're, we're at home in Holyoke. Oh, you're in Holyoke. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
finally, yeah, this is this is our house, and we had the house fire last May 9th, which had us out of our house until November 1st, and we've been back since November 1st, but we're still unpacking because it's, it's a bit of an odyssey because all the unpacking was done by the cleaning crew and not by us. Oh. By the, all the packing. Because I know you guys were in Amherst for a while. Right. Yeah. We're staying with Dan and Andrea Cooper. And then an Airbnb across the street from their place, which was nice. And, you know, I think that I have a place. my excuse for not being able to lay hands on your new book, which I'm excited to have, is I think you mailed it to me at our Airbnb in Amherst. I, I think I did. Yep. Uh-huh. And I packed it up and brought it here. And that's that's a phase of the unpacking that I have yet to get to. <laughs> yeah. Well, now you have something to look forward to. <laughs> I do. So you want to start there? You want to talk about your new book, your new full-length book? Y- yeah, I will. I think that's exciting. The My new book is called The Bastard Children of Dahmer Bums. I remember. I love the title so much. Yes, well, so the book is in uh, two different sections. Uh, and the first section, which is uh, The Bastard Children of Dharma Bums, is a series of sculpted poems that are essentially eraser poems without the erase lines taken from each chapter of Jack Kerouac's The Dharma Bums. Uh, I manipulate lines, punctuation, and in some cases, the tense of words, like changing breaking to break, for an example. But otherwise, the words within each poem are as they fall in Kerouac's novel. So, you know, the novel has 34 chapters. So there's 34 uh, poems in here. And... Uh, I will uh, read one of those. So, yeah, so they're eraser poems, but, uh, you know, where eraser poems usually will have the black lines. My thought was if you're going to erase the damn thing, then just erase it. Um, So I erased all the black lines. And so they on the page, it looks like regular poems, but they're, you know, but they're not. So anyways, uh, this is uh, Bastard Children of Dumber Bums, number 34. Raspberry jello in the setting sun poured through unimaginable crags. Rose tint hope, brilliant and bleak. Ice fields and snow raging mad. I read snowy air and wood smoke. The wind dark clouds forge. The sing in my stovepipe absorbs vaster, darker storm, closing in like a surl of silence. No starvation turmoiling. My shadow, the rainbow I haloed. Your life, a raindrop. I stood in rose dusk, meditated in half-moon thunder. My mother's love, drenching rains, washed and washed. I called Han Shan in the mountains. I called Han Shan in the morning fog. I closed my eyes, yelled dark wild down in my garbage pit. My hair long in the mirror. My skin soaking pristine light. My fire roaring. I hear the radio singing. She was the wind which passes through everything. Birds rejoicing sweet blueberries for the last time. Sitting, I twisted real life and cried cascades, answering the meditation bell. 
I know desolation. I owe gritty love back to this world. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for reading that. We were lucky enough to be able to publish a few of those, I think, in the most recent issue of Meat for Tea. Yes, you did. Yep. And the the second half of the book are um, more my are just regular poems. But um, last few years, I've been really studying uh, classical Japanese and Chinese poetry. And um, so a lot of those poems are heavily influenced. Uh, there's, you know, haikus in here. There's tankas. There's uh, actually what is called uh, high buns, which is a mix of prose and haikus. So it, m- more contemporary high buns today look kind of like prose poems that have either a haiku or a tanka attached to the end. And I'll, I'll read one of those, one of the shorter Thank ones. So, some of them are longer, um, but this is a shorter one. You know, Basho, the famous haiku poet, he was mm-hmm. famous for, for his high buns and um, uh, his, you know, his, the, the narrow path is, you know, is book length. This is nowhere near that. So anyways, this is entitled To Life. To the Cat... I'm no more than a stepladder, a tool for looking out the window. From here on the bed, I see a scribble of branches, the occasional flash of bird, and the dusky underside of drawn-up blinds. The cat reports on ground activity. His chatters indicate the robin's return. His yowls announce that the calico next door is all belly and paws in, the, in a patch of sun. Today, there are no big questions I'll ask or try to answer. Instead, I'll fold my hands on my chest and tap a finger along to my neighbor's hammer as he pounds something beautiful and strong to life. Sundown, sunrise, a butterfly opens and closes its wings. So beautiful. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And for our readers slash listeners who might not know, do you want to talk about the high bond form a little bit? Like what it is? Yeah. Well, the high bond is, um, it's, it's, it's a mix of prose and either, uh, attached to it are, well, traditionally are haikus, but nowadays there'll be tankas, which is, you know, the, the five line poetic form that's, in uh, traditional Japanese writing. Um, the one I just read actually has a tanka, not a, not a haiku. And if we get really specific, it's actually what I just read. It wouldn't be called a high bun. It would actually be called a tanka prose, but you know, to me, you know, they're more or less the same thing. It's just one is a, um, uses tanka. The other one uses, uh, haiku. And right. You know, they, they were, you know, nowadays they read more like, um, like prose poems, but traditionally they were more like, um, kind of like travel journals. They were, um, like diaries. And the ones in this book are more of the traditional, more like tra- travel diaries or journal entries with haikus or and tankas attached to them. Yeah, I love that. I love that whole idea. And I think the poems you sent us, which we were fortunate to be able to include in the Criadia 
DeToro issue of Meat for Tea, which we've got to get into your hands, and we will. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the Love Letter to the Pioneer Valley, June 28th, and then Love Letter to the Pioneer Valley, June November 21st. Uh, the, the love letters are actually going to be in my third collection, which is going to be called Love Something. That's exciting. Which will be a collection of uh, homages, odes, eulogies, um, other you know forms of praise. And the love letters originally started off as, they originally were called the 2020 poems, in which my goal was, you know, I started at January 1st. And I what a year for poetry. Yeah, well, it was I started it before the pandemic, so I had no idea that was coming. But the idea was to write a poem a day for the year 2020. And what a discipline. Well, I failed miserably. (laughs) Well, that makes me feel better because I had a thought like that, too. And then I had a better thought, which was don't do it. (laughs) So. You know, I think I ended up writing like 88 poems, which is actually far more than That's I normally admirable. write. Yeah. Yeah. That's a body of work. And then over time, they became, they became the love letters. So. So, and that's your third book, which, which you've gotten the works. Yeah, I, I it, it's actually all done. And now I got to go through the editing process. Um, I just sent it, you know, to my mentor, you know, Ellen Dory Watson, and she'll go through it and, um, and, you know, she'll red pen it to death. And then I, um, (laughs) and then, you know, I'll, I'll go and do the edits and stuff. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a beast, you know, where most poetry books are, you know, around 80 pages. Uh, This is 135 well, well. So there needs to be a lot of, uh, you know, cutting um, that has to happen. Or erasing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These could be more eraser poems. <laughs> yeah. There's, and there's a lot of series in the, in the, in the, um, in this third book, you know, there, there's the love letters, which there's a whole series. There's the praise poems, which there's a whole series. And um, and then there's like the, the Ryokan poem that you accepted. There's the uh, writing through series, which is actually, if I can talk about that. Um, Would you please? Yes. I'd love for you so, to. So the, uh, the, the writing through series I, I, I did was, um, it's actually a John Cage idea. Uh, I John- thought it sounded like John Cage. Well, because he he wrote a poem called Riding Through Howl, in which he wrote a whole new poem by riding through Allen Ginsberg's howl. The idea is that the best way to pay tribute to another writer or another artist is by creating new work through their work. He ended up using... The the difference is he used a complete different method than I did. Uh, his he used like some sort of weird algorithm to make his lines, and it's it's very very avant-garde, and um, it's almost it's kind of like if if free jazz was poetry, you know. That's what um, you know his writing through Howl is. The way I did mine is I will pick a writer. 
And I would, um, so for example, the, the first, the first time I did this, uh, you know, it only made sense to me that I would do a tribute to my mentor, Ellen DeRay Watson. So what I did was I would, I read through at the time she had four books. So I read through her four books. And as I read through the books, I would jot down lines, just single words, phrases, sometimes entire stanzas. And I would have four columns, you know, so book one would be column one, book two would be column, you know, column two, so on and so forth. And so then I had all this, I ended up having like 18 pages of just scrap material. And then what I would do is I would take half a line from from a poem from book one and smash it together with half a line from book three and I so on and so forth. At, at this stage, all I did was all I wanted to do was make interesting sentences. I, I didn't even think about how the sentences connected with one another. Um, they just stood on their own. And then after I did that, I ended up having 144 sentences. And then after that, I, I then I was like, okay, I got to take, try to find patterns within these sentences, how to rearrange them to make them make sense. And in that process, there was more cutting, more editing. Sometimes I would have two lines that kind of went together, but there was something in the middle missing. So that's where I would create something original there. And until I made this entire poem. So um, it ended up, I used her words, but by with all their rearranging and splicing, it ended up being a whole, a whole new work. Yeah. So if you, if you don't mind, I would like to read that poem. I wish you would. So this is called uh, Homage by Way of Writing Through the Works of a Mentor for Ellen DeRay Watson. My mother never wished for her sons to stop painting the world's moans and glitters. You were a blooming brushstroke to the canvas. Like my brother, I could see the Taj Mahal in the grain of an oak pew. Unlike my brother, I'm no splinter inside the smooth wood. I know my trees. I know your barn boards and the shed moving towards ruin. I know your poems living in my lungs. Because of you, I'll notice every exploded headlight in the endless parking lot. The trouble with space between us is it's a sadness made beautiful over time. The man who loves my mother's wonderful dark hair is all shallow breath and false teeth. My stepfather says she's a woman with an iron mind standing in an ornery river. Her outbursts are haphazard scattershot, appropriate in a chaotic universe. She says with each passing day, he looks more and more like a rusty earth mover. Bless the brain that never wanted a glamorous job. He eats her leftover donuts and heartache. If she were milk, she'd be sour on his breath. Their ugly intentions grew too big for the skin of their house. They're not allowed to live in the same nursing home. She wants to know if they broke the things they thought they could save. 
Forgive me if I miss her wild blueberries. I've removed pain by hacking at daylilies, unworthy of a place in the body's garden. What are poems if they don't flip the switch from trying to forget to wish to remember? I'm forgetting how to stutter guiltily through life. I'm learning how to belong with clumsy and disobedient crows. I refuse to think about the 138 ladybugs I've killed. My arms are always full of eggshells. You've given me so many dumb and beautiful chickens. I'll remember gentle. You found me a white heap of dough, and tonight I'm cooking to West Coast jazz with no thought of waiting out the big storm alone. Tomorrow promises to cat birds nonsense and forbidden love sweet birdcage. It doesn't matter who's upstairs holding Polaroids of my nakedness. What I bring to the bed is a ticker tape parade. What I bring to bed is the howling in the chimney. I'm just another band geek blaring ode to joy through the car stereo. I must shape a planet in my hands, and I come to this with only nine good fingers. Ellen, you said, try to push back the tangible. Be properly scared. Be here first. Love something. Wow. Mm. I love that. And I don't know if you hear, but I kind of love that as you read that, you can hear the rain and thunderstorm happening outside in the background. (laughs) Yeah. So as you're mentioning a storm, there's a storm. um, We we needed to keep a window open. Otherwise we would have um, melted by now. But I think I think the storm is a fitting background for a piece like that. Well, I planned it that way. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I know you did. And that worked out <laughs> spiffily. That worked out extremely well. So was Ellen Dore Watson one of your professors previously? No, uh, I studied privately with her for over 15 years. How did this situation come to be? Well, um, back around what must have been year 2000, she was doing a workshop. And I think I just, I think it was actually um, advertised in Poets and Writers magazine, you know, this workshop in in Amherst. And I I had no idea who she was. But I said, I went, I'll, I'll go to it. And, you know, I never really, I never really dug, um, workshops. I, I just felt I never really got much out of them. You know, you you're not would, alone bring, in that regard. Well, you know, you, you, for me, I, I bring in, you know, my 12 line poem and I'm like, I know everyone's going to say, oh, I love line one and five and 12 and they all do, but then they don't really mention, you know, what needs to be really worked on. Or if they do, it's not really clear what needs to be done. You know, it's often you'll get things like, well, you know, I, I don't really feel comfortable with, you know, that word in line two. And it's, well, why? <laughs> and then you don't get a real answer, you know. So anyways, Ellen, you know, during the workshop, she said, oh, I'm, I'll, I'll you know, besides doing workshops, I also will work one-on-one with people. And I was like, that's what I need. 
Nice. And mm-hmm. it was great working with her because she she did give me what I needed because when I would come with a poem, she would not only say she'll she'll say, you know, this line isn't right and this is why it's not right. Right. So I, I you know, I learned tremendously with her and you know, she you know, my first book, Break Every String, that took like seventeen years to write. And, you know, 15 of those years was with her, you know, mentoring me through, you know, basically through the whole book. So, you know, I'm completely indebted to her, which is also why like this, this, this third book, I, um, I wrote it all on my own. I I haven't really worked with her since 2016, but once I knew it was time to do edits, I, she was my first choice of uh, sending it to. Yeah, of course. Now, this workshop, uh, was that offered through um, Amherst Poets and Writers? Was it through that, um, I, that system I of workshops? I don't know. I, I mean, it, I mean, we're talking like 20 years ago, so I have no yeah, idea yeah. what it was under. I did do, actually, before I met with Ellen, I actually did do a series of workshops with uh, Robin Barber and... Carol Edelstein. Um, okay. And uh, their workshop was definitely a uh, uh, Amherst uh, writer's uh, workshop. Yeah. The reason I ask is because, geez, I want to be careful not to step on toes, I guess, although I'm, I'm not known for being extremely cautious in that regard. Um, <laughs> Amherst Poets and Writers has, as you probably know, an underlying philosophy there's rules where you can only really give praise and encouraging comments but you can't actually critique right well i mean that's why i i they they were you know doing the workshop it was fun um it was a great social outlet oh yeah it wasn't i wasn't um you don't, you know, at least for me, I don't improve by, you know, you telling me all the things I'm doing right. You know, I need need to, you know, know what I'm not doing right so I can go (laughs) and correct it, you know, and improve. Yeah. I I don't think many people do improve if they're only told what they're doing right. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of children that wouldn't be potty trained right now if I only... (laughs) <laughs> tell them what they're doing. <laughs> like, honestly, like in the most simple, <laughs> simple example. Yeah. Well, I remember I got in trouble once at the uh, Amherst Poets and Writers uh, workshop because I actually, you know, you sit and you like write for 20 minutes, do a free write. And mm-hmm. my whole, my, my, my whole free write was basically me telling myself that everything I wrote sucked. <laughs> and they were like, you can't do that. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. No, that's perfect. You probably came up with some perfectly good Nine Inch Nails lyrics right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember it was like, I have nothing to write about. This sucks. I'm bored. What am I doing? Yeah, it, was, I, I, it, was just some, it was just like 20 minutes of me ranting. <laughs> That's a, I think a useful function of free writing is to like move past that kind of stuff and into what, what's behind it. Right. Though. Right. That's what it's for. So I think you should be allowed to, to 
have that moment of just sort of wallowing in self-doubt. And then, you know, eventually you'll get bored of writing that and push past. And that's where the, where the real writing lies. And I think that's part of the process. Yeah. I I won't expound too much on um, my opinion of the effectiveness of that workshop method, because you probably know what I think. And it sounds like we're of like mind. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I'm so excited for your third book. Now, um, Bastard Children of the Dharma Bums, I I just want to revisit that a little bit, this two-part book, first, which is of Eraser Poems or Redacted. I I call them redacted poems. I guess that's a very, like, Mueller Report term. No, that's actually a a good one. Yeah. Well, it's, it's what... And so it happens if you, if you leave the black lines in there, but, um, from whence did you derive the idea for structuring the book? That was also kind of a John Cage inspired exercise. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess so. Um, I, I, you know, I spent like, you know, again, 17 years on break every string and, you know, which break was a every triumph str- I should point out. Yeah. Well, thank you. (laughs) And it's very, you know, it's, it's basically a memoir in verse is what that book is. And, you know, after writing it for 17 years and after it was finally finished, then it was like, well, now what? And, you know, I got tired of, you know, spending three hours a day looking at a blank screen, you know, counting my the clicks of my cursor <laughs> as one does. So I just needed, I needed a new way to create I needed a new way to write. And, you know, I was, uh, I was getting interested in conceptual poetry and, you know, just different uh, experimental type of writing. That's why I did the writing through poems and, you know, started playing right. with um, centos and, I think, you know, it evolved into it, it, you know, through that, it it eventually ended up, you know, evolving into the Dharma bums. And also too, at this time, my, when I first got into poetry, you know, I didn't come to poetry through reading, you know, Robert Frost or Emily Dickinson. I actually came to poetry through music. I came through it by uh, jazz, actually. Very cool. Before I was a fan of poetry, I was a fan of jazz. And then, you know, my best friend went to UMass Lowell. And, you know, you can't go to Lowell without knowing Jack Kerouac. So through jazz and through him, I got interested into the beats. And, you know, and then over time... I went on to other writers, you know, Charles Simic, James Tate, a lot of the surrealists. But, nice. um, r- you know, right before I got back, before I started writing the Darwin Bums, I kind of, you know, kind of went back and started rereading, you know, the beats. And so I thought, you know, I, I think also going back and kind of reliving my early days of when I first was introduced to poetry that also was a big influence of why I wrote the Dharma Bums. I'm so glad you pointed out that you didn't come to poetry by way of poetry, but rather by way of jazz. Yeah. Because it's so interesting. And 
I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I also feel like if you read your poems or listen to them, you, you can kind of hear the jazz influence, like the jazz kind of the cadence. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like that's in there. Yeah. Well, I also, um, it, 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 I don't know if it's going to last. It might actually be one of the poems that got, that got cut. Um, but I actually have this poem called Impressions of Louis Armstrong. Ooh. And that too is, uh, it's actually a, another writing through poem. It was writing through uh, a book called uh, The Wonderful World of Louis Armstrong, which was written by uh, now a friend of mine, uh, Ricky uh, Riccardi, who is the curator of the Louis Armstrong Museum in Queens. Basically, this guy's full-time job is to go to Louis Armstrong's house and play with Louis Armstrong's stuff all day. Oh, my gosh. How do you, how do you get a gig like yeah, that? It's more, it's more intense <laughs> That's than that. That's enviable. <laughs> I want that job. When I wrote that poem, it's, it's a long poem. It's like 12 pages in like eight sections. I was about to ask you to read it, but now I'm yeah, thinking yeah, better no. of it. <laughs> but I purposely wrote the lines... So they're very jagged and fragmented. So they kind of mimic, you know, like like a like a jazz solo. And and if you think about Louis Armstrong, like a trumpet solo specifically, even right, that's really cool. And you know, and even if I'm not thinking jazz rhythmically in poems, it a lot of times, you know, somehow jazz will find its way into my poems. I don't think there's a reason to keep it from doing that. You know, whether I use it as a metaphor or something like that. Yeah. Also, like, from jazz and then to the beats. And the beats were also influenced very much by jazz, right? Like right, right. Well, that's, that's bebop why. and all that. That's, right. that's how their writing evolved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's that's how, you know that's why I was like you know I knew I knew they were into jazz, so then that that was the thing that made me you know want to go check it out. Nice, I love that. Do you listen to music when you write? No, no, I try to, <laughs> but I can't do it. It's like too many rhythms going on all at once. Oh yeah, yeah, like yeah, it would yeah. clash. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I try, you know, romantically, I, I think, oh, yeah, I'll have like some uh, Charlie Parker on while I try to write my poem. Well, you compose then, your writing. Yeah. But then then all but all I'm doing is like listening to Charlie Parker and I, I can't, you know, what, whatever linguistic rhythms I have trying in my head, I, you know, they, they keep clashing. So then I have to turn it off and just have quiet. So nothing but the cats. Yes, yes, pretty much, yeah. And, you know, the way I usually work is, I, you know, I work really slowly. Like, you know, I said earlier, I, I wrote 88 poems in 2020. And usually if I write 20 a year, that's a lot. I think that's a lot for a lot of people. Yeah, I, well, you know, I, I envy the person who can, like, write a complete poem in one sitting. For me, I, you know... To write a poem means three days minimum of just staring at a blank page. Mm -hmm. um, and then all of a sudden, you know, something comes and it comes in a rush. 
And it's usually like a stanza or two. And then I will spend the next week just going line by line, you know, and I can spend three hours just on one sentence. Um, easy. You know, I think someone asked uh, Oscar Wilde what he did. What did he, what did he do yesterday? And he said he, you know, he added a comma to one of his poems and then they said, well, what did you do today? And he said, I took it out. <laughs> yes, know, was, I remember that quote. <laughs> you know, so I, I'm, I'm, you know, that's not the exact quote, but it's something along those lines, yep. you know, so um, I can relate to that greatly. So when you write, like, how would you characterize your relationship with writing, your experience of writing it? Is it like a love-hate relationship? Is it? Um, well, I never thought of it as a love-hate thing. It, it's just something I know I need to do. So, I mean, I mean, I'm writing all the time. Even when I'm not writing, I'm thinking about writing. Uh-huh. And or I'm just, you know, mentally, you know, taking notes of things. And like, I remember once I was at a coffee shop and I saw this girl and she had red leather boot, cowboy boots. And I just kind of jotted that down. And then I ended up using that image in a poem like three years later. Nice. So, so I'm constantly gathering information, gathering images. Yeah. I never really thought of it as a love hate I just it's just something I have to do it's a necessity yes it is uh right and it makes it makes me think of Hemingway's uh Hemingway had a great quote which was when I don't write I feel like shit (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) you know that's that's the same thing you know we all know how he ended up yeah, yeah. So he uh, he must have felt like shit even when he did write after a while. Well, cause. actually, actually, <laughs> from what I understand, that's the reason why he did it. He got he he got to the point where he felt felt he couldn't write anything anymore. Wow, um, that, that is makes my, absolute I, sense. I could, be, I could be wrong, but I believe that's that was what I recall was the. It makes all the sense. Oof, heavy though. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah all the sense in the world. Like I, I, I don't write, I, f- I feel like shit. And now I feel like shit all the time because I can't write. So, well, I mean, I've been right. Ri- I've been a writer of one form or another since I was six years old. What did you write when you were six? Oh, when I was six, I was uh, writing um, these short stories, which were basically um, my variations on Star Wars. Oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> Do you yeah. still have those? No, 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 no. I want to. I mean, see I those. used to, even before then, even before I could like write my own stuff, I would dictate stories to my grandmother, and she would write them down in a yellow legal pad. And then, nice. And then at one point, I was like, "Oh, I can be. A, I want to be a playwright." So I started writing these plays, and I would force all the neighborhood kids to be in my plays. And after a As while, one they does. got. <laughs> and they got sick of it and they didn't want to do it. So I was like, well, screw you guys. I'll be a puppeteer because I, I, I started <laughs> cl- collecting all these puppets. And I was like, well, screw you guys. I'll I'll write my own plays and then I'll be a puppeteer and I'll I'll, I'll do my own plays. And then and then, you know, when I turned 12, 13, I got into music and 
Um, I kind of moved away from writing plays or short stories, but like with music, it's what really turned me on was composing and writing songs. I'm not, you know, I'm not a great player. I don't, I hate being on stage. You know, some people get into music and like, uh, you know, they do it because they love the stage. They love the live show. I can't stand it. Um, to me, it's nothing mm. but a bunch of stress. <laughs> and, uh, but I love composing. I love composing. That's why, like, I can be in a studio and, you know, I can get lost in it. I can, you know, work on a track for eight hours straight and not even realize time has passed. Um, nice. So even that had to do with writing. And then, of course, through the music, as I said, that's how I got into the poetry. So it all ties in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I can relate to, yeah, particularly getting the lost in the studio, uh, getting lost in the studio thing with, you know, just hours go by and it's, I'll work on a piece of music and, you know, six hours goes by and it's like, oh, wow. It feels like you're waking up or something when you stop. Right. Right. Yeah. And like with me, it's like, you know, you, just one idea comes after, you know, another like, you know, um, you know, you're working on something and it's like, oh, this can happen here. And then, oh, wait, and because of that, I can change this into this. And it just, you yeah, know, sure. for me, the ideas just keep coming and coming. Well, I envy that a little bit <laughs> yeah. because I've, I've gone through phases of my of my um recording career which isn't really a career it's not what i do for a living but it's it's a big part of what i've done uh, my entire adult life uh, i've gone through phases where just i've got nothing for you know months even um, years have gone by uh, without writing anything new a few times and then there'll be a period for maybe three or four years where it seems to come really easily and I'll get mm -hmm. pretty productive and, and then that well dries up a little bit. And I think it's like a recharge. I think I have to give myself time. I just got out of a, about a five or six year period of feeling like I had a lot to, uh, a lot of ideas to put down. And I did, and I got a lot of, I got a lot of stuff done and it was very satisfying. But now I'm like, uh, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna push myself into trying to keep that pace up right now. I'm going to allow that to rest for a little bit. Right. And, right. And at some point, at some point I will probably know when it is that I should start up again. And uh, that's okay. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. like, <laughs> that's like actually poetry wise, I actually haven't written a single poem this year. Um, oh, in, this, in 2021. In 2021. Yeah. Um, I, cause I finished this book more or less in December, my third book. And, you know, there, there's, and I, this happened with me with when I, uh, and when I finished break every string, I, I kind of like, I need to do the edits on this book and make sure this book is done, done before right. I can move on to something else. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've gotten, Actually, that, that's actually stopped me from starting a new project because it's like, well, this other one isn't done yet, so I can't start this new one. Well, no, no I mean, that's, that's kind of, yeah, that's basically, you know, how I feel with this is like, I, you know, the, 
the book is done, but it's not really done until all the edits are done or, you know, until at least send it out to a publisher. And I don't, there's just something in me that, you know, this needs to be a clean break. You know, I need to have this done, take a breath and then move on to whatever the next thing is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's usually been the case with me in a, in a project. I've got an album I'm working on and I can't really think about it. I mean, I may have ideas for another record, but I don't dare distract myself from it. Although right. there was in this past you know, five year or so, however long it was, burst of activity, there was at one point uh, three parallel projects going on, all quite different from each other. Most of them I actually ended up putting out too. I've got one experimental thing that I haven't put out, but I probably will at some point. But for some reason, that was okay. Uh, that didn't seem to get in the way. I think it's because I wasn't trying to write in a standard song format. I was actually working in sort of a more experimental format. They were still songs, mm -hmm. but they weren't necessarily they weren't necessarily like what I would consider like some of my other material being, you know, it's a verse and a chorus and and another verse and a chorus and a middle section and another chorus and it ends, you know? <laughs> right, 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 right. And I think not, not working with that format and not working, thinking about like, oh, I've got to make that kind of record, I think did free me up to a while doing things in parallel like that. And, and actually it may have actually informed how those three records that were all very different came out as well as I think they did. <laughs> so there, maybe mm -hmm. there's something to, to that. But anyway, that's, that was just the thought that I, I had. <laughs> I'm glad you chimed in too. Yeah. Since both of us are here and might as well have literary and music represented at once. Well, the over and I love the overlap between music and writing. Oh, oh me too. Me too, definitely. And we'll be back in just a moment. And welcome back. We also we've got another thing in common. Josh, do do you, do you, do you Go by Josh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Josh, Joshua, okay. whatever. Because asshole like, sometimes if, also works too. Uh, <laughs> I, endearment, of course. It's all true. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just asked because like I, I do not go by Liz. It is Elizabeth, and if people just like randomly Liz me, I'm not mean about it, but I just quietly bristle a little bit inside because I didn't invite them to do that. So I'd like to make sure. We've got another thing in common. Speaking of podcasts, um, we've both been guests of Sawtooth Frank and Stomp and Jen. Yeah, on the Soft Serve podcast. It's it's funny that you mentioned that because on the um, you know I, I made this little album that will be, you know, digi digitally released on July 20th, which is called uh, Bitches Banjo, which is a, you know, uh, a wink and a nod to Miles Davis's uh, I Bitches was wondering, Girl. right. But, but on that album, uh, Jen makes a cameo on this tune called Immortal Lobster, uh, which is this Frank Zappa-esque type tune. Nice. And then I, uh, then there's a song I wrote for her, which is called Stomping Jen, which is a mix between thrash metal and a tango. 
<laughs> okay, I've got to hear how those meld. I'm utterly intrigued. I love and that. And then there's this like acoustic blues thing, which is called uh, And In Walked uh, Sawtooth Frank. So th- there, there's a tribute to them in, in, the whole, in the whole thing. In Walked Sawtooth Frank almost sounds like a tribute to Thelonious Monk, In Walked Bud, too, a little well, bit. Well, yeah, that, there, there was, right? uh, that's, yeah, that was an influence of the uh, title. I wondered about that. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah, I've known Jen uh, and, and, and Sawtooth uh, for over, actually, well over 20 years. Wow. Um, yeah. Jen started the uh, UMass Poetry Society uh, back in 1996 uh, when we were all undergrads at UMass. And, UMass Amherst? Yeah. And uh, so I met her there. She met her you know, future husband, Sawtooth, there. And my partner, uh, Chanel, we've been together for over 20 years and I met her there. Huh. So I don't think the UMass Poetry Society is around anymore. Um, do you know who George Myers is? Yeah, we're friends. He runs Amherst Cinema and Quarters. Yes. And he's got a bunch of projects. Yeah. Yeah. So no, he, George is awesome. I love George. Yeah. George and Ben. Hersey is his last name, I think. Yeah, ben yeah. Is. Ben and yeah. I are tight. I love Ben. Okay. So when Jen... When, so when all of us left the UMass Poetry Society, it was George and Ben who took it over. Oh. And then they, they had it going for a while, and I don't know if anybody um, took it over after them. That was 96 when she started it, and then yeah, George she, and Ben took it yeah, over. Yeah, they would have taken it over like around 1999. Which was right when I came to UMass, but that right. was to do PhD work. So I don't know if our paths would have crossed then. Ben Hersey and I shared um, an adjunct faculty office together at Holyoke Community College. Yes, we yes, I remember when he there. was teaching there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and actually, and in this, um, actually, in my third, in my third book. One of the poems is actually dedicated to George Myers. Yay. Nice. Yeah. So they had yeah. the coolest. Uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Finish what you're saying. Oh, I was just, you know, I was just commenting, you know, small world, you know. But Oh, yeah. Well, this valley. Yeah. It's like one degree of separation from everybody. Pretty much. George and Ben had the coolest project like a musical project that was hilarious and kind of performance art called Steamroller. Do you remember yeah. Steamroller? It was a scream. I don't know if I remember Steamroller specifically, but when again, when we had the UMass Poetry Society and we had our own open mics, they would come come and do this all this wacky stuff. They did oh, like yeah. this... They did like this, uh, you know, acoustic duo thing, except they did the whole thing while they were under bed sheets. <laughs> and then there was this other one where they like, pour, like as they were doing their act, they poured like entire buckets of paint on themselves. Um, yeah, I re- they, <laughs> they were, they, they always artist. were entertaining. Yes. 
Now, wait, were you guys all undergrads or were you in the were you in the MFA program? No, we were all undergrads. Okay. So, geez, I usually never forget a student, but I wonder if there's a chance because uh, when I was at UMass, I was I was teaching to to get my yeah. tuition waiver. Well, you you came in in '99, and I graduated in '99, so we yeah, probably came just missed just each other. crossed paths. Yeah, because yeah. when I met, well, I knew I knew George from Paradise Copies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that was my hookup for all kinds of things. Syllabi, those those boys let me procrastinate ridiculously long on getting my syllabi put together. Because they'd make them for me like the night before if I needed them. Right. It was great. And for flyers, for bands, and then for meat, for tea in the early days. And Paradise yeah. still prints yeah, meat I, for I, tea. Remember all the flyers? You don't see flyers anymore. I, you miss flyers. You, don't you miss flyers? Yeah, you don't. It's not like it used to be. Not like in the 90s where, you know, you know, the student union, the whole walls would be nothing but you know, covered oh, yeah. with flyers, you know? Yeah. It's an art form. I, I have a, I've got a coffee table book of a bunch of collected punk flyers from some seminal years on a shelf somewhere or in a box somewhere. It's, it's going to be like this for a while. <laughs> yeah. I've just come to accept it. Yeah. George and Ben played a very early, meet for tea circle like when I first started doing them when they're before Mark even had Zone Lab when they're at the 11s so yeah, yeah like what was that like 12 years ago 11 years ago uh, at least yeah yeah 12 yeah, years I, ago I, I mean I see him on Facebook every once in a while but I haven't I haven't really spoken with either one of them in years in a long long time I've been in touch with George a bunch Basically, just that I keep, I just ask everybody that has a local business to advertise and meet for tea. <laughs> so I'm just a terrible nag trying to keep enough money to stay in print. And then Ben's little boy, Welcome, is just such a prolific and talented artist. Like, it's kind of amazing. He's eight. He's already had an exhibition of his work at comics and more. He's really good. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's awesome. So I, I got us off on a... George Myers and Ben Hersey tangent, but I love it. I love that this poetry society, it's funny that this thing was happening. And I think a lot of us in the, in the grad English program, both the MFAs and the PhD candidates might not have even been aware that this thing was happening. No, no. <laughs> you know, at that time, they probably didn't want anything to do with us. <laughs> or vice versa. Yeah. You might not have wanted to, you know, filthy up your works with like teachers. Oh, well, no, I mean, you know, everyone, we, everyone would, um, you know, especially with James Tate, you know, every, you know, it's like, you know, I just saw James Tate, you know, walking down, you know, wherever. And then everyone would like, go, where, where, um, you know, <laughs> intimidated, you know. There is a hilarious kind of... Um, cult of Tatists that sprung up in the MFA program that um, certain friends of mine and I used to derive some amusement from. 
just these these young men, probably 22 years old, would enter into the MFA program and in poetry, and they'd be there a week, and then all of a sudden they'd start. These are 22 year olds, you know, and they'd start dressing yeah. like James Tate. You'd start seeing like Argyle sweater vests and shit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was wild. <laughs> well, he did. He did. Yeah, he did sort of dress that way. He was a he was a regular uh, at the record store that I worked at. From he's a great guy. Lo- no, no derision to him, but late eighties, early nineties. A twenty-two year old in an argyle sweater vest is a very different thing than a venerable professor in an argyle sweater vest. Yeah, he he looked he looked right. Yeah, yeah, and the twenty-two year olds looked bizarre. <laughs> he, he was also super cool. This is this is my true James Tate story. Uh, you know, I used to do all my writing, you know, in the around year 2000, 2001 at the, the you know, the what it's no longer there, but the Starbucks in downtown Amherst. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I don't know why. But it was like, like down the street from Xana. It was right across the street from the CVS. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got no reason to know where Xana was. It's, it's a woman's fashion boutique. I don't know why you would even have. Oh, I, I should have named another place. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I, I I would I would work there, and like clockwork, Jay, I would see James Tate. It was like every I don't know whatever day it was, like every Tuesday or every Wednesday, and, and he would walk out of CVS, come get a coffee at um, the Starbucks and he would sit in one of the chairs and he would have his CVS bag. And the only thing that would be in that CVS bag is a single roll of toilet paper. Oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> like, it, like it was like every week it was the same thing. Wow. <laughs> you know, he could have bought I don't an know why. pack. <laughs> But I guess then he would disrupt his ritual of being able to go to Starbucks and sit and have his coffee every week if he bought an eight pack. You know, it was at least twice or three times that he would come in and the only thing he had was like a single roll of toilet paper. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so hilarious. I actually really enjoy his work. Yeah, well, he's one of, um, you know, my big influences, um, him and Charles Simic, you know, after I got into the Beats. After I got into the beats, I moved on and I was reading a lot of the uh, surreal writers. I love the prose poem. You know, I love Russell Edson, all his wacky stuff. I love Russell Edson so much. Yeah. Uh, Lewis Jenkins um, is another one uh, who writes specifically prose poems. I love his work. He actually just passed away in 2019. And once Aww. again, in my in my third in my third book, I wrote it's actually a cento prose poem in honor of him. He's one of the. Do you um, want to read it? Um, yeah, I, I I can read it, and I just have to get to it real quick. You can do um, that. We can edit out the pause too. Okay. We can do magic and post. <laughs> okay, I found it. Yay! Okay, so. This is for the poet, Lewis Jenkins, prose poet. This is actually what is called in the form of a cento, which a cento, for those who don't know, is where you take, you create a poem by taking the lines of existing poems 
and making a new poem out of it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times you'll have like, let's say a 20 line poem and each line is from a different poet. You know, one line is an Emily Dickinson line, one line's a Robert Frost line, whatever. So this is a prose poem that I wrote for him. And every sentence is a sentence of his, it's verbatim his, but it's each sentence is taken from a different poem from a different book. Mm-hmm. So it, it again, it's kind of like r- that writing through process where you make a, a new work through theirs. So this is this one is titled Not to be Confused with Canto. Nice. The way it gets dark early every day. He doesn't like that. He has a look of preoccupation or worry, you might think. He wants to fly with the crows. One has lingered too long among humans, fascinated by the possibility of a toothache or unrequited love. He began to feel he'd been born in the wrong era. This photo was taken in 1902, just a girl clowning for the camera. The stylish clothes of the period look silly now. He doesn't, he does not know who his ancestors were, except that they, like him, were notorious liars. There he is among the birches, a tall man wearing a white suit. His hair is rather long, but clean. Each time one of those trees bend down to touch his head, a little more gray appears in his hair. He's after something big, Something down there that is pure need. Something that, had it the wherewithal, would swallow him whole. What does he hear? A distant storm? He seems unsure. Seems to have difficulty sorting the various sounds. It's as if someone leaving on a train says something as the cars begin to move. Something through the glass. Insects never worry about where they are. There must be a thousand of them flying every which way in a sexual frenzy. A crow has discovered a scrap of roadkill on the blacktop and can't resist telling everyone in a loud voice. A car is on the road, speeding toward the end of its headlight beam. A few cows are grazing in the muddy meadow. On the far side are the pastures of night, where bright stars graze in the dark matter of the cosmos. Our brains are unable to make sense of our own lives. It's like a bird singing in a tree that flies just as you become aware of it. A mistake, a wrong turn, takes one elsewhere. No one notices. The car moves along, The car moves along like a scanner over a barcode. This is not the end, but you can see it from here. Amazing. I love it. Well, that's fantastic. Thanks so much. Now, I I just, I just have to point out like literally every one of those sentences, you know, it's one sentence from one poem from a variety of books. So I I just, I, I, I just love how, you know, you take all these different parts and you put it together 
And like, you would never know that it was uh, uh, a Cento unless I told you. No, so not at all. I just love how things like that fall into place. It's like magic. Yeah, I was, as you were reading, I was, I was marveling at how uh, cohesive, coherent, and flowing the, the narrative was. And, and then reminding myself, and this has all come from all these different sources. This is, this is all right. on the curating. It's ah, all on the curating. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love it. I think one of the things that it's probably been touched upon a little bit earlier, but one of the things we always like to do is if you have places where people can find Actually, you. Actually, before we do that, I have a few oh. questions I'd like to ask. Just, I've been asking them to most of our guests, and I think it's just like really oh, yeah, fun. Yeah. You want to talk to us about um, what's, I don't know, we're vinyl collectors, so I'm going to sound weird if probably say what's on your turntable right now, but maybe you also listen to music in that form. But if you don't, just what are you listening to a lot right now? Hill Country Blues. Nice. Um are you familiar with what Hill Country Blues is? You're going to have to educate me. Okay. Hill Country Blues, technically it's Mississippi Hill Country Blues, is... Um, cool. It's a, it's a type of blues that only comes from northern Mississippi. Hmm. And it's um, uh, probably one of the uh, most known performers of it is uh like mississippi fred mcdowell um also rl burnside oh uh, okay sure okay sure. yeah so our crumb uh, did a, a graphic novel about him and um it's very rhythmic uh it's it's um harmonically it's very primitive you know the songs are famous for having like just one chord um throughout the whole piece um, it's nice. also very, it's influenced by drum and fife bands. So it's like, think of like a marching band with a blues guitar attached to it. Um, <laughs> I want to hear some of this. Yeah. So that's, that's what I've been listening to some. a lot. Nice. And what are you currently reading? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Actually, the <laughs> book I've been reading the most is How the Light Gets In by Pat Schneider, who actually is the one oh, who, yeah, in, yeah. she's the one who invented the whole, I don't know if invented is the right word, but she's the one who started the Amherst Writers and Poets um, workshops. But this is yep. like, her, this is like, um, it's actually about writing and spiritual practice. But I mean, I'm reading tons. I'm constantly reading tons of things. I'm usually reading like at least 10 books all at once. Uh, poetry wise, I'm reading um, Mary Oliver's Devotions. I love that one. I'm reading uh, the poetry, the collected poems of uh, Thich Nahat Han, uh, who is, um, I probably butchered his name, but he's a famous. Um, Buddhist oh, yeah. poet. Pieces Every Step, I think, is one of his really famous ones. Yeah. I love it. I, I, I say it, Thich Nhat Hanh. I, I, I think we'd have to ask someone who is from his homeland how to properly say it. It's probably someplace in between what you said and what I said. 
Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, I love him. I didn't know he had a collection of his poetry out. That's exciting. Yeah, the the book is called uh, Call Me By My True Names. Oh, nice. Mm. Yeah. Cool. I'll have to check that out. And are you watching anything? Is there anything you've been enjoying streaming? Actually, I, I... I basically watch a lot of um, ID Discovery. Uh, I love true crime. So Me too. Any, any of the true crime stuff on, you know, on Discovery Plus, I've, I've been watching. So you're a cable-having person. I think Discovery Plus is a subscription service, too. Is yes, a it's service? a streaming. Yeah, I actually haven't owned a TV in uh, 20 years. Nice. Yeah. Everything I watch is um, always, I had Netflix for a long time, but I stopped using it. So I got rid of that. And now I basically watch whatever, um, you know, my crime shows on Discovery Plus. And there's also Philo. Philo has a lot of uh, of the true crime shows. Oh, nice. yeah. 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 I'm a big um, true crime podcast listener, too. There's a few true crime podcasts that I love. Yeah. Like my favorite murder. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Did you listen to do you listen to small town murders? That's hilarious. I may have I don't want listen to it regularly, but I I um uh I, I think I have heard that. Um, it's pretty funny. Like okay, okay, it sounds bizarre to be talking about something centered on murders is funny but it's a couple comedians narrating it so yeah it's funny do you do you ever (laughs) listen to criminal i have listened to criminal yeah that's one of my favorite ones she she always has these very unique uh episodes and she always comes at these uh at you know um whatever the subject matter is she always comes at a really um unique angle at these stories it's 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 a whole fresh perspective. Yep, I love that. I've been really enthralled by. I guess we're just shouting out podcasts we admire, which is you know <laughs> nice for a podcast to pay tribute to other yeah. podcasts. Why the hell not? I've been very much enjoying American Hysteria, which is not too. Oh, I don't crime, know that one. You should check it out. It's brilliant. I think her name is um Chelsea Weber Smith. Their name, gender non-binary person their name I'll, I'll get my pronouns right if I just get bitch slapped enough but um anyway she analyzes just everything from the satanic panic to um transgender phobia to gender reveal parties just anything that sparked off an American brand of hysteria including QAnon but it's it's a smart analysis and it's also humorous as hell because Hysteria is funny. Yeah, I will have to check that out. I think you'd like it. These days I'm um, pretty much just starting from the beginning and going through every episode of 20,000 Hertz, which is a marvelous show if you haven't heard it. All about sounds in the world around us, familiar. It's brilliant. I and otherwise. It. Yep. And, uh, and, that, and then I didn't really follow that rabbit hole for a few months and then I picked back up on it because of... Uh, a mastering engineer whose podcast I listen to. This is really like how nerdy I get with the audio stuff. But a mastering <laughs> engineer whose podcast I listen to, I listen to all of his episodes and he's only putting them out like once a month now. So I'm like 
I wonder if he's got any other stuff. And lo and behold, he was a guest on two episodes of 20,000 Hertz. So down the rabbit hole you go. And I was like, okay, now I'm going to, now that I've talked into this, I'm going to go back to episode one and listen to them. And it's, it's great. We should cool. probably say goodnight. Do you want to tell all of our, I always call our listeners readers. I, I, I guess I think of this kind of like a reading experience. Kind of like when you listen to an audiobook. But our followers, where they can find you on your social medias, maybe where they can purchase your books. Just Yeah, um, they can find me. Um, probably the best place to find me is on my Facebook page. Uh, I guess you just look up Joshua Michael Stewart. Uh, I'm the guy with the hat. <laughs> um, there's also joshuamichaelstewart.com. Uh, however, I haven't updated my web page in quite a while. I, that's one of the things I need to do. And you can find my books, you know, uh, I guess the easiest spot would be Am- Amazon. But I know like uh, the Bastard Children of Dharma Bums, you can order that from um, not as well as Amazon, almost any other platform. You can even order it from Walmart, I found out. Um, huh. So cool. yeah, are you yeah. on Bookshop? Org? Are your books on bookshop.org? I don't. I don't know. I don't. That, that I don't one's know. cool because they give money to independent local booksellers. Yeah. I'm not sure if you're if you are local in, you know, in the Pioneer Valley, you can find at least my first book in um, Amherst Books. Uh, I actually have a couple old chapbooks uh, at um, Amherst Books as well. And, Collectors um, take note. Yes, mm-hmm. and um, the local bookstores in Northampton also has my um, Break Every String. Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Joshua. Well, thank you for having thank me. You. Oh, this was fun. This was such a lovely, good chat. You make me want to dig out my copy of Worshipful Company of Fletcher's James Tate and reread it. Great. So, so thanks so much, Joshua, for coming in. And, yeah, uh, thanks ever so much. This was really fun. Yeah. And have a great night. Yes. Thank you for having me. Good night.
said you wouldn't come But I heard you at the gate And it made my heart rejoice For I knew that welcome footstep And that dear familiar voice Making music to my ears In that lonely midnight gloom Oh brother, we have missed you
quite something. Isn't I, that great? I was the the mostly willing uh, participant in listening with that conversation. I did get to chime in a little bit, but frankly, I just sat back and let them do their thing because that was great. I hope you agree. Oh, I think your chiming in was good and useful. I appreciate that. Also gave me a chance to pee. <laughs> Podcasters do that. Here's your news flash. <laughs> that has now been documented for all the world to hear. Thanks for joining us for the Meat for Tea cast. As always, we appreciate it. Uh, do what you can to support us. We won't go any further into that this time because we've said it over and over and over. But stay tuned because in a couple weeks we'll have another episode for you. Oh, and we know who we have. Oh, who's coming up? We have Candace Curran and Nina Rossi. Nice. They're going to be rocking out the podcast, probably doing some musical poetry. Yes, please. Combinations in yeah. their idiosyncratic way, which is amazing. If you haven't heard them, well, guess what? You've got to. You're going to, and you're going to be psyched. you got to so, check it for this. Join us back here in two weeks for Nina Rossi and Candace Curran. Splendid. It's going to be brilliant. Thanks for joining us, folks. We'll see you again in a couple weeks. Bye. The Meat for Tea cast is produced by Elizabeth McDuffie and Meat for Tea, The Valley Review. Mixed by Mark Allen Miller at Stone Lab, East Hampton, Massachusetts. Visit Meat for Tea at www.meatfortea.com. Please consider going to anchor.fm to make a contribution through our contribution page. You can reach us through meatforteacast at gmail.com, or you can leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash meatforteacast. We welcome suggestions for contents for the Meat for Tea cast. If you've attended a Meat for Tea Cirque and want to hear from one of the bands or one of the spoken word contributors, please let us know. All portions are copyright Meat for Tea and their respective holders. Vote for Meat for Tea on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at Elizabeth, Meat for Tea on Instagram, and on the Meat for Tea and Meat for Tea cast Facebook pages. Meat for Tea is available everywhere you get your favorite podcasts.